Hello, welcome to another episode of the Lord of the Dance Settee podcast. I'm uh, joined here by Lino, my cat, who is currently on my desk. Apologies if she attempts to eat the computer, or, or as she is doing at the moment, rubs her anus against the corner of the screen. It's not quite her anus. Oh, nearly was then. Now she's gone. She's turned around. Now it's her neck. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, so we're going to be looking at some of the gigs. Uh, the, the tour is continuing and I'm, I'm well into it, but uh, this podcast is a little way behind. So I'll be looking at some of the gigs from late March. We'll see how far we get <laughs> into this. And I may talk a little bit, I think, about comedy hierarchies, where I am in my career. That's partly what uh, this show is very subliminally about. Um, and uh, see what funny things happened in these gigs. I think I'm hoping not that much stuff because <laughs> it's quite hard to edit, edit all this together. Uh, and I have a feeling after quite an eventful week, it, it wasn't uh, there wasn't quite so much stuff going on in the next few gigs. But let's have a look. Why don't we start by having that popular little bit of the podcast where we look at the claims to fame from the few of the gigs that I did. This is a routine where I pretend that people aren't impressed by me because their talent is much more impressive than I am. Here come the ones from this week's show now. No, does that not impress you in Southend? So no, that is not the kind of thing that would impress people in Southend, Richard, because we have the longest pier in the world here in Southend. Not only that, it appeared in the closing credits of episode of, of series 8, 9 and 10 of Minder. Not the first seven, just the 8, 9 and 10. We, John Lloyd, the tennis player, is from Southend. He wasn't very good at tennis, but he married Chris Everett for a bit. That is fair. So we're not in Rachel Riley from Countdown comes from Southend. So we are not impressed. No, that does not impress you here in Aldershot. No, it, it takes takes more than that to impress us here in Aldershot. It's just Bird World is near to Aldershot, so we are. That is more impressive than anything. One of the sugar babes was born in Aldershot. Not one of the original ones. I mean, one of the several hundred ones. Emily Baraboa or something her name was. None, even we in Aldershot don't know her name is. She was, she replaced Mutya, I think, in the, uh, in the second or third lineup. Of the, she was from Aldershot. So we have a statue of the Duke of Wellington in, in Aldershot that once was on outside Buckingham Palace, but Queen Victoria didn't like it. And so it got taken down and sent to us instead. That is, that is so we, did you not know that about your town? So uh, do I know more about Aldershot than you do? Or are you just still a bit bitter about that? fobbing off her unwanted statues of the Duke of Wellington. Have you seen the Duke of Wellington statue in Nordshire? Yeah, good. It does exist. I, you know, I'm trusting Wikipedia for a lot of this stuff, so I'm, uh, I'm hoping it's... No, that does not impress you here in Cambridge. That's not... Takes more than that to impress us here in Cambridge. The game of association football was practically invented in Cambridge, so we have more, we have more impressive things here in Cambridge, Andy Parsons was in the Cambridge Footlights, Richard. So we are, we have more impressive from Mock the Week, he was in the Cambridge Footlights. So we have more impressive things than you can. Tom's Midnight Garden was set in a town that is essentially Cambridge. So there we have, there we have more impressive things uh, than that. Well, maybe we have helicopters coming here on lorries, Richard. That is how, not flying like a normal helicopter. We're driving them around. We don't want to waste the helicopter petrol. No, does that not impress you, insurance? No, it takes more than that to impress us 
in Shoreham by Sea, Richard. We're not, we know we're called Shoreham by Sea, not Shoreham on Sea, like everywhere else. That's because we're that's that very impressive that we're the by the sea. Leo Sayer was born in Shoreham on Shoreham by Sea, Richard. So you know, we, it takes more than that to impress. An episode of Poirot was filmed in the uh, airport terminal near to Shoreham by Sea. So we are takes more than an old woman to impress us. The band Absent Elk are from most of them are from Shoreham by Sea. I mean, no one has heard of them, but they are from Shoreham. An 1899 chess champion came from Shoreham by Sea. So we are, it takes more than an old woman kissing a child to impress us. No, does that not impress you, Cardiff? That doesn't impress us here in Cardiff. That kind of which shaking Stevens is from Cardiff. It takes more. The man from the two gorgeous pot noodle adverts is from Cardiff. Tiger Bay was once the biggest port in the whole world. It was once. That was when it was once upon a time. Merlin is filmed in Cardiff. So we are not. The TV series Merlin is filming. So we take some more than that. So, sorry about the sound quality of some of those. Uh, I think the Cardiff one, I must have not had my microphone with me. Some of them sound quite good and some of them sound quite bad. I then lost that microphone. I can't remember which gig that was at and now I've bought a new one. Um, so that might be one of the gigs I lost it or I might just have left it at home. You're not interested in that. Um, and the Cambridge thing about the helicopters referred to something that happened on my way to the gig, which may come crop up later. It might not. It's not that important to be honest but that neatly takes us up through the gigs to the end of March South End by Sea was the first one which I kind of had low expectations for really I'd um I've done there before and not not that many people have come to see me and I was in a big theatre beautiful theatre the Palace Theatre but amazingly I'd sold more than I thought 250 looking out at the audience that night there was some old, more elderly people in the front row and I kind of thought oh is it one of the theatres that just everyone comes to see everything that's on uh, and I thought oh, maybe they think they're actually coming to see Lord of the Dance with Michael Flatley. I was kind of really getting almost cold feet backstage thinking about it. And then when I came on, they were one of the loveliest crowds. And, and in fact, those very people that I'd judged by the way they looked turned out to be really enjoying what I was doing. Uh, there was once when we did uh, this morning of Richard Not Judy tours back in the 1990s. We did have a couple in Hull who sat all the way through the first half looking a bit confused and unhappy and then left at the interval and genuinely thought they'd come to see the real Richard and Judy, though goodness knows at which point they thought, hold on, this probably isn't the warm-up act to Richard and Judy, uh, talking about Lady of Diana's funeral and such things. And after the show, just loads of people came up to say hello and get stuff signed, and one of whom was a uh, young lady who had been to see, this was the 50th time she'd seen me perform, uh, and uh, that includes way back for Lee and Herring. Uh, but that is quite an amazing thing to think someone's seen me that many times. Uh, I did promise her she could have a free ticket to the next show she came to. It seemed like she'd given me enough. And I'll do that for everyone. If you can prove you've seen 50 of my shows, you get one show free. It's like a Cafe Nero card. I should start with a stamp so you can start collecting. If you see me 50 times, you get a free one. That is, uh, that's something uh, that I promise I will do. Uh, so, but it is kind of interesting to have your expectations confounded like that, and to sometimes be standing about saying, "Oh, this is going to be terrible," and it was actually one of the best gigs of the tour. And to prove that point, I have just discovered that I did do a little uh, backstage chat, which I sometimes do and I often forget to do, uh, and uh, I think you can sort of see how low I am feeling in this. Uh, particular clip so uh, 
my expectations were confounded, and from thence the humour arose, although it didn't. It arose from my script, but luckily they laughed. Okay, I'm backstage in South End, South End on Sea, feeling pretty tired, even though I've had a couple of days off from touring. Uh, maybe not enough time off, also spent a lot of the time looking after a tiny child. So, uh, not had maybe enough sleep. It's cold in this dressing room. Um, Giles the Cannibal is in Australia, so uh, as you know. So now I have Luca back, who was did a few dates with me up north. Um, and, yeah, sort of, this is one of the places I worry about getting the name wrong on stage. There's lots of other places like Southport that it could be. <laughs> and so I'm unsure I'm by sea in a couple of days' time. It could confuse that. So just trying to remember some facts for the bit. I have managed to look them up this time. Um, we'll see what we go for. But yes, it's, I'm feeling weary. It's a 600-seat theatre, uh, which I was, uh, you know, I was unlikely to sell that out. But uh, I'm pretty sure I've done like two over 200, maybe about 250, which um, is way more than I was expecting. So you know, the theatre will be almost a half full. But to be honest, the the downstairs is full, and there's a bit in the second section, the top section, so high up that you don't necessarily even notice it. Um, but yes, I'm hoping I'll be visited by some energy and that I will remember the show. Two days off can suddenly throw you a little bit and I haven't really been thinking about it. I've been recording some blogs which haven't done which have been weak. <laughs> the recording of them, I mean. I don't have Terry to help me because uh, I pissed him off. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, not full of energy, but we'll see if that translates into... A good show. It's been nice to have a couple of days off and spend some time with my family. Um, I've been eating chickpeas for lunch, so I'm worried about uh, farting on stage. I just did a fart back here. It's allowed. This is my fortress of solitude. I'm allowed to do anything I like in here. And at that point, I went to do a wee. So I think I will stop you from hearing that. I'll maybe save that as one of the extras for for the monthly subscribers. Go to www.gofasterstripe.com slash badges, pay a pound a month, and you can get all kinds of little extra things from behind the scenes, like this podcast, really, but uh, some of them better than this. Uh, I'm re not really going to put my you know, myself weeing on there for any perverts out there who want to hear that. If you really want to hear it, just send me £500 and I will record myself weeing for you. But that's how much it costs. The show was nice and loose and fun, but um, most of those bits are too wound up within routines that you won't yet have seen for me to discuss. Uh, but I have started doing a bit at the end of the uh, kissing the oldest person routine, where I go back and do a, an extra fact about the town sometimes instead of a bit about Samuel Pepys that I would often leave people a bit confused. Um, and uh, in Southend, I did end up doing a, quite a bit of local material throughout the show uh, about... The pier partly being the longest pier in the world, and uh, this additional little bit coming up next. No, not even that would impress you. No, no, Richard. We have a Victorian bandstand. I mean, it got it got taken down because of the cliff subsidence, but they've re-erected it elsewhere now, so it's still as good. They might put it back by the cliffs at some point. So we take more than that. Take more than that to impress us. And then at the end of the half, there was, unexpected to me, this little diversion as I uh, 
went on about these things even more. And I kind of like that when the show gets to the point where I'm just chatting. I should do it more, really. Um, though I don't want to just become an entirely ad-lib show, but you know, obviously I'm reasonably okay at doing that. And it's kind of fun when something turns into routine, even though you don't necessarily know it's going to be yourself. So this is how I closed the first half. You've been lovely so far. Uh, we're going to, if you've got 15 minutes to pop down the bandstand uh, or go. <laughs> Could really run to the end of the pier. You can run to the end of the pier and, and back again. That's a two and a half mile run, I think. <laughs> that's just the pier part. I don't even know how far away the pier is. I've never bothered to go. Because, <laughs> you know, to me, the uh, fact the pier's really, really long is not a selling point. <laughs> well, I have to walk a mile to get to the end of that. Yeah, I don't think I'll bother, thanks. <laughs> I'll just walk a mile on land and, you know, then get a bus home. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> don't know where that came from, anger about a long... <laughs> don't know what that's... I don't know what it's about, I don't know where it came from. It's something... To... I, I grew up near Western Supermare, their peers shit, so that was... It must be that. <laughs> and Western Supermare's pretty shit, so let's wait. Uh, anyway, uh, I'll, I'll be back in about 15, 20 minutes. Go and have a drink and a wee, and I'll see you later. Thank you very much. Cheers. nicely got me back just at the beginning of the second half as I wound up to start doing the second bit of the show. So I hope you had a good interval. I've been playing uh, Adam's Family Pinball. I highly recommend it. I've got it on a computer. I don't bring a pinball machine with me. But you probably have one somewhere in town, right? Any, any good pinball arcades in town? At the end of the pier. At the end of the pier, damn you. I'm not walking a mile. I've got it on my computer. <laughs> So that was Southend, a very nice crowd, uh, lovely theatre staff, thank you for having me, hope to come back there again. It feels like my kind of town now, which it never did before, so um, uh, if you were there, thank you for coming along. Um, and this show and this tour, it's quite interesting for me because it is about me assessing my time in, my place in time and space and also my career and in my life and working out where I've done the right things with my time uh, and look at my career a little bit. And, it, I've, and I've just been reading Robin Ince's blog, which is always worth uh, checking out. Just Google him and you can... And I think he's sort of... He's in a place that a lot of comedians get to just this week, uh, which uh, I've certainly been at. Maybe I was at during the Edinburgh run of the show where I think he was tweeting me to remind me that I always said that and I just tweeted him to say everything's fine. It's When you've been working with lots of comedians, it's a competitive environment. It's a very supportive environment as well, with it mostly. But uh, you sort of start judging yourself about how you're going against other people. And, you know, with this show, I'm sort of trying to work out why after 25 years I'm still in this similar place in my career. I mean, it's sort of been growing a little bit. It seems to have hit a plateau, which is nice. And it doesn't seem to be going down too much this tour, which was, was my fear. But, you know, I'm aware that... As a comedian, you're you're only as successful as your last show, and there's lots of new comedians coming through, and the audience can choose to go off and see other people. We had that lady at South End who'd seen me 50 times and stayed loyal. If only everyone did that, well, it wouldn't be that good because we didn't get that many people going to see us with Lee and Harry. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose I'm sort of realizing, I think a little bit, and I think Robin Ince should realize as well that being in this middle place is is sort of makes you luckier in a way than the, the people who are, uh, without sound, running too spinal tap, with the, the people who are doing 
massive, massive theatres and doing ridiculously well. It gives you a lot more freedom. There's something quite nice about playing little, tiny venues. In March, I was doing quite well with numbers. In April, I'm playing a lot of smaller places. Um, and uh, it's nice to have to try and win a small audience round. And I guess, whatever position you are in your career, and there's a lot of comedians that would envy what I have, and I realise that. I think I've, I've realised how lucky I've been this time round to be able to tour and make money on your own uh, as a comedian is a sort of dream for most comedians. So I think you always look one step ahead of the next people and you can, if, if you do that, you can never be happy. And I think I'm getting to a point where I'm content with what I've got. I used to be more ambitious or at least, you know, the idea of being the most successful comedian of my generation or whatever would have been appealing. And certainly the idea of being on TV and having more people going to see me would have been what I wanted. Um, but now I kind of at least appreciate the fact, especially with a young family, that I am I can go to the park and walk around without really being recognised or hassled by anyone. Um, and yet these people will come and see me and so I can carry on making a living. And a, a thing that I, I want to talk about, I think, in this podcast, and this is, I haven't written this, so I'm just going to, go off the top of my head and, and see see what comes out but it was interesting to me when I went to a few years back I went to see Jerry Seinfeld at uh, the uh, O2 uh, and uh, I very rarely get invited to these things as uh, like a backstage pass kind of thing uh, and even if I even when I went to see sort of Al Murray at the O2 I was like half a mile away from the stage uh, and then I might have, gone, might have gone to the after show but uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld I've been invited by the people who put together my Hit the Moustache and um, Christ on the Bike DVDs or marketed those and um, so I got seats very close to the front of uh, Jerry Seinfeld which was amazing at the O2 and then I also got invited to the after show party which was quite an exclusive thing and it had a lot of the bigger comedians the TV comedians from the UK there uh, and uh, it was sort of really weird as you went, I went in there not, I was really happy to be there uh, I think I was with Andrew Collins, who was amazingly delighted to be there. Uh, and uh, you're thinking, this is great. I've gone backstage. I might, might see Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, there's free drinks. And this is quite a pleasant idea, a nice thing to happen. Uh, but everyone else sort of seemed miserable and just like looking around, working and going. It wasn't as good as other things they'd been to or they were looking around trying to work out who was there. And I could sort of see in a lot of these people's faces, even though some of them were my friends, that they were kind of... I could almost see them going, Why? How, how's he here? What's he doing here? What's happened? What's happened to the comedy hierarchy? As if they were trying to work out whether I'd suddenly come into favour and now I was suddenly invited to these things. And that kind of panic about, they just sort of seemed, these comedians seemed sort of unhappy that um, well, they'd reached this place, but then it was so tensive and they knew that it could, and this is me all reading into just looks, none of them were saying this, but I think I'm right. They were... Uh, you know, they, they knew how fragile it was. They knew that they, someone else could come in and steal their crown, that they might not get invited, and therefore they couldn't enjoy being backstage at Jerry Seinfeld, which, you know, there's every chance that someone else might come along and your career might, as you know, as I know, <laughs> you might be on TV one day and then not on TV the next day. Uh, and so, really, you've got to enjoy that while it happens. I mean, I wish I had enjoyed being on TV a bit more, and I did. We worked really hard, and it seemed like we'd it was something that would stay with us forever. Uh, and then it didn't. But I'm also glad that I kind of got the period after that where I had to realise how fortunate I was, but also to to work a bit not harder because we worked very hard, but work a bit more 
that finding out who I was comedically and what I wanted to do comedically. So there's lots of positives in going up and down. But if the point is, I suppose, if you're in these amazing places and you can't enjoy them, um, then there's no point in being successful. And if you are successful but you're still looking up at the next person up and wishing you were them, then you're never going to enjoy it. And I suppose I really want to enjoy what I do. And I, and I have been. This tour has been a great fun. Uh, and I think it's partly because I've, rele I've released myself from worrying about this stuff anymore a little bit. And so, uh, yeah, so I think it's just interesting that um, I don't, don't know if I've expressed it very well. Maybe I've expressed it excellently. I'm not sure. But uh, that was that's what I've been sort of thinking about a little bit about that that night and seeing those other comedians and seeing their faces. And, uh, and annoyingly, yeah, there was an incident at that thing where I know Stephen Merchant quite well. This was before the Stephen Merchant um, podcast and uh, him and Ricky Gervais were being bothered by some guy they didn't want to talk to and, and Stephen Merchant said, can you get us out of this? And so I kind of kindly stepped in, managed to make it look like they had to go somewhere else and spirited them away. And uh, Ricky Gervais uh, into my face said, ha, huh, imagine being saved by Richard Herring. Uh, and which I still don't really understand what he meant by that. I don't know if I was worse than the person he was talking to, or that. Well, I, I, I don't know. And this was, I think, again before the whole incident I had with him. So I, I yeah, it was an interesting night. Uh, but I suppose what I'm saying is being happy with where you're at and realizing how lucky you are to be where you're at. If you're at the position that I'm in, uh, is, is is has been an important step for this tour, uh, and. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I think I wrote in a blog the other day, it sort of be nice if maybe everyone who came to my gigs brought one extra person with them next time. Uh, but uh, that would be about, but then you're not in control. Uh, you know, it could go over that tipping point and you become like a massive success. It'd be nice to have a few more people come just for financial security and for the fun of playing to 200 to 400 people rather than 100 to 300 people, whatever. But uh, the danger is, you know, that that, that they bring what if they bring two people and those two people the next year bring four people and then you're a massive success. It'll be awful. It'll be a terrible thing. Anyway, let's move on to the next gig. Actually, quite happily, I was on Aldershot uh, for the next night, uh, which is a gig I love going to. Uh, but I started that show by discussing almost uh, that very thing about uh, the way careers can go off in different directions. That was after a slight uh, false start, which sometimes happens. The offstage mic had not been turned on for me to introduce myself, which uh, gives you this kind of odd sensation. You introduce yourself and no one applauds, even in this room where I thought they might be able to hear me anyway. Uh, and uh, then I had to check the mic was working and go again. So listen to that and then see what the story I talked about. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Lord of the Dance City. It's Richard Herring. Well, can you hear that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Lord of the Dance City, it's Richard Herring! Yeah. Thank you very much. Second time lucky. Good, hello! How are you doing, Aldershot? Good. You all right, yeah? Good, that man's smoking for you all. You don't need to join in. He's, he got in there first. Uh, lovely to be back at the West End Centre. Always a delight uh, to be here. I gigged here about uh, 10, 11 years ago in a gig uh, with John Oliver, who now presents The Daily Show, uh, and you all booed both of us off. So, uh, <laughs> some would argue he's gone on to be more successful than me. He said, not, not last week, tonight, that's what he said. It's a brilliant show. 
That's the John Oliver show, but the people of Aldershot will not enjoy it. <laughs> they, it was John Oliver and Andy Zoltzman on first. Uh, they were doing previews for Edinburgh. They were ropey previews for an Edinburgh show, I have to say. Uh, and then I came on after the interval and I started up talking about Greek gods and someone in the audience went, oh, God, not another one. <laughs> uh, so, but, you know, it's, things have gone better since then. Anyway, welcome to this show. That was a rare error there from Jules, who... Um has been the tech at the West End Centre every gig I've done there for 13 or 14 years. Uh, and I've got a really lovely relationship now. I've watched her children grow up and uh, they're always very happy to see me there. Uh, it's nice when you get like a relationship going with the staff. Uh, but she'd had quite a bad day. They'd just found out um, that uh, John, Redburn, Reb, Reb, Ray, John Rayborn had uh, died, who was a musician who'd been there recently who they were also very big fans of it was nice to see how upset they were there because it it made me realize that if i do die there are at least two or three other people who are going to be upset i mean it's an additional incentive not to die obviously uh i don't want to upset them so i have to stay alive so that i don't upset uh jules at the west end center uh and i was it was death was in the air that day uh, lil chris had uh, died uh, that week which and i think maybe i just heard about it that day um which I was very upset about. I did never mind the buzzcocks with him, but I'd always liked him before that as well. I thought he was good fun. Uh, and I'd watched the uh, show that he became famous in as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, terribly tragic. I'll, I'll read you the blog I wrote in 2007 about him uh, come, popping up on my TV in, in uh, when I was at the gym. Since evil Richard Branston took over my gym, there's been a few changes. Uh, there's, uh, but uh, there's there is, for example, a different music channel on the TVs in the gym, which uh, with occasional Big Brother style announcements of how to keep fit. The station seems to favour certain music artists, and bizarrely, the performer who seems to be on most is Tiny Lowestoft crooner Lil Chris. Both, I always thought it was Little Chris. I thought he was sponsored by Little. Both his new video and his previous one have been on the last two times I've been working out. I don't mind. I'm a big fan of the diminutive shouting imp. I find him highly amusing. I actually watched quite a lot of the Channel 4 programme that was his springboard to temporary fame and allowed myself to be manipulated by the producers who set up a false willy won't he storyline suggesting he might not make it to the final lineup. Obviously he was going to. He was easily the best singer in his school in Lowestoft. His videos are a bit disturbing though because although Lil Chris is 16 years old he still looks about 11 and so it's jarring seeing him winking at attractive women and asking if I'm getting enough. He should be singing about how he enjoys watching American wrestling or playing British Bulldog not appearing in a lewdly suggestive pop music video. At the end of the getting enough video he picks the girl out of the crowd that he's been flirting with and she comes up to, onto the stage. Even though she's only probably 18 next to him she looks like she might be his mum and it's bizarrely inappropriate. Like she's one of the kind of some kind of awful paedophile preying on young boys. Uh, so, uh, but even though Lil Chris is 16 and thus legally allowed to suggest to women that he might be the one who she should be getting enough with, common sense dictates that Lil Chris should at least wait until puberty kicks in before he starts trying to satisfy women, however much he can shout and give a leery wink. I genuinely like Lil Chris and would ask him to be my MySpace friend, that uh, dates it, though at the moment the page won't load up properly. I just don't want to have a witness to this strange unnatural spectacle whilst I'm running on a running machine, though perhaps I'm just annoyed that a fetus-faced 16-year-old is showing off about getting enough when at his age I was three years off getting any and a good ten years from being in a position where I could claim to be getting anything like enough and then not in any consistent or reliable fashion. And at what point will Lil Chris have to stop calling himself Lil Chris? I suppose it's a possibility his career might be over by then. I hope not. Um, yeah, that's quite sad. <laughs> and it, but it's, it is, it's, that's what is sort of sad about his story is that, um, you know, he was shot to fame by these people making a TV show who didn't care about what happened to him next. And then, 
he obviously found it, amongst other things, there was obviously a difficulty in coping with not being famous anymore, which again, I suppose, is turning into a little theme of this podcast. But uh, rest in peace, little Chris. Um, yeah, it's such a shame. Anyway. The older shot gig was fine, uh, but uh, and I think there was just one notable thing. I forgot to record the second half anyway, it didn't work. Uh, so uh, if anything funny happened in that half, you were not going to get to hear it. But at the end of the uh, first half, I got myself in a bit of a mess talking to someone in the audience and it became an amusing-ish little interlude. Again, not something I usually say. So uh, let's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. By the end of the tour, I'll tell you, I'll have a really good punchline for the first half. So uh, it's um, <laughs> just by just by trial and error. It'll happen. Just not tonight. So uh, I <laughs> got closer. It got closer. Uh, it's all right. It's got to have to remember that. That's, we'll see how we go. Uh, I shouldn't really be saying this out loud. This is this should be the internal monologue, but it's just it's just come out. Uh, so it's time for the interval, uh, and uh, you can have a dree, drink or a wee or a dree. That's when you have a drink and a wee. That's when someone wees into your mouth. That's a dree. That's what I call a dree. It's going to be an international dree day. And uh, it's going to be March the 11th. And that's what... And by, you know, a few years, everyone will... That'll be in the interval. Everyone will be queuing up to either wee or drink the wee of the person we <laughs> And no, I can tell... I'm, not, I'm doing this to you because I know that you would like that. That's why I, I'm looking at you. I can tell from your face. Thinking, yeah, when? I'll hurry up. That can't come soon enough. International Dree Day. So, um... <laughs> Uh, so it's the interval so thank you very much <laughs> go and look at Duke of Wellington I'll see you in a bit cheers and interestingly listening back to that I did add live a completely different end to the final routine now I'd, I'd absolutely forgotten about it even though I said I would have reminded myself in that bit to remember what I did so maybe I'll do that from now on uh, but in this show, I was messing around. I mess around at the end of the Dave Manager routine, and I mess around at the end of the International Women's Day routine, uh, and hope to find something that works. And every day, I suppose, every performance, things are changing. Sometimes I push it too far and I break a routine, but sometimes I find something new in it. I still think the Sombrero routine, it was always something I meant to go back and have another look at, because I thought I could do better in the last two minutes of that. But uh, so far, that I've not managed to change that one. But maybe by the end of the tour. So keep on coming and seeing the show, because you never know what will happen next. Look at this. It's 30 minutes gone already. I, did, I really didn't think it was going to take this long. I know I've been blathering on. Uh, so let's have a quick look at the Cambridge gig. And then if there's time, we'll go on to the Shoreham and Cardiff. But they may have to wait for another time. Uh, it's Cambridge Junction. Play there every tour. It's, uh, the, it's the place where, after one show, I had a great time. Everyone was very excited. Then I went back to my travel lodge across the way and there was a there was someone else's bogey on my shower curtain from the previous, hopefully just for the previous occupant who came in there for years, uh, which epitomised show business for me as far as I was concerned. Um, I was about 10 tickets off selling out this time. I usually sell this gig out, so that's not too bad. And the only bit I think I want to share with you from this thing beyond that we've seen and the fact there were helicopters on the back of trucks is this little interchange with a member of the audience. Seriously, not even that impresses. <laughs> Richard, we're not impressed by that. Stephen Hawking's from the film The Theory of Everything. He's from Cambridge. He came up with The Theory of Everything in Cambridge. That's where he... it's the second best university in the country. After, after Oxford University. Obviously not as good as 
people who went to Oxford University. Imagine that, imagine how clever someone like that is. Yeah, like someone who could get a 2-1 from Oxford University, but without doing any work. Pardon? Imagine what they'd be doing. Imagine what they would be doing now, thank you. <laughs> With that skill that they in history. Ask me any question about history. I can tell you the answer because of that. Ask me anything. What do you want to know about history? Just ask me anything about history. What's gonna happen in the future? What's gonna happen in the future? You've misunderstood <laughs> that is the exact opposite of what I asked. I have all the things you could ask. That's the one thing I can't tell you with my degree. Because <laughs> you learn nothing from history. We're good if, you know, you learn from history and went, and then went, well, now I know what's going to happen next. Because it runs in, it's like a cycle. It's all a cycle. It goes backwards again, that's what happens. That's what Stephen Hawking says, right? Something like that. There's big strings or something. Something like that, black holes. Something like that. Uh, so, good. Well done for your question about history. <laughs> from the, the second cleverest place in the country. <laughs> proven, thus proven. The 28th of March, I was at Shoreham by Sea. Not Shoreham in, in the sea, it's by the sea. They're not stupid there, they know what they're talking about. Uh, it's not on the sea, it's by the sea. Uh, and this is another gig I've been to quite a few times, run by people uh, I'm familiar with, and uh, that's nice. And again, it's sold out, so this was a really lovely part of the... To a March was pretty much all golden, to be honest. Um, April, not so much so. And uh, the Shoreham gig was remarkable in that the lighting operator was blind, or at least partially sighted. I think he might have been blind, uh, which he was was interesting. You know, that was <laughs> he did a good job. So I don't. Know, it's, I said he must be like Tommy working by sense of smell. He said he'd heard every single joke about it possibly. That was possible. Uh, also, the sound guy dared to say to Luca, my tour manager, do you live on the second floor? Which is something I've been dying to say to him uh, the entire time I've been doing the tour. Uh, but resisted, but I did find myself accidentally humming uh, this song in the back of the car on the way home. So maybe I have been doing that all the time. Um, in the second half in Shoreham, I decided I'd noticed uh, someone tweeting about the gig and uh, decided to surprise them a little bit with the information that I gleaned, like I'm a sort of, I'm like the CIA, looking at all your tweets and working out who you are. So this is what happened at the beginning of the second half. Oh, you had a good interval. That's all right. I had a nice, yeah. nice time. That's good. It's good to see you. Uh, you're a professional harpist, aren't you? How do you know? Because I've been, I've been, I found you out on your, on Twitter. You tweeted about me earlier, but not at me. So it's really like I'm, I'm like a stalker of the audience. I thought that's that's quite exciting. How, you've just been in Montpellier. How was that for you? Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> Good. I'm sorry I've been a professional I mean that is worse than being a professional dancer isn't it really being a harpist is there much call for that the harp these days yeah okay it's going alright that's good good to know thanks Alexandra lovely to meet you so um it's uh, careful you know Twitter you can just find out anything you like about don't even have to tweet someone in just mention their name they can find you so uh creepy innit <laughs> It's good to do that back to people, I have to say. Not, not that you've ever done it with me, unfortunately. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> it's all the wrong way around. And the last gig in March, and the last part, port of call for this particular podcast, was Cardiff, which I love going to. I've had the long association. Uh, some of our earliest fans came from Cardiff. It's the early gigs I remember going to were in Cardiff. Uh, and 
it was great to be back at St David's Hall, which one of my ambitions, more so than being in the Miss Massive Room at Wolverhampton, is to play the main room at St David's Hall, which I did do last time that I was there, which is a couple of years ago. I got into the main room just by dint of having sold 50 more tickets than usual. So when I went over into 450 or something, so I could it was made sense to go into the big thousand seater room. Uh, but this year I was back in the large bar where it still seats well over 300 people, and that was full. So we came close to being here in the main room. But one day I hope I will have uh, enough fans in Cardiff to fill St David's Hall. Uh, that is an achievable, I think ambition whereas the Wolves one probably isn't in that I have quite a big fan base in Cardiff and we had a lovely gig uh, and uh, I did berate them for being back in the bar it wasn't their fault um, and you know which is fine it's, it's a nice room the sight lines are a bit weird and there were, the staff were great again there was a big man who was apparently a fireman as well as working in the theatre and he carried absolutely every single one of my boxes up in his big arms uh, to the lift on his own uh, it was the most erotic thing I've ever seen. I, I just wanted to to dip myself into his big chest and be held forever. So that was nice. Uh, and I played a lot of Adam's Family Pinball, as I do during most of the intervals, I have to say. I've been playing Adam's Family Pinball on my iPad uh, a lot, uh, and I can't get enough of it. It's genuinely the best game ever. I think it has been mentioned in this podcast already. But I did another, at the beginning of the second half, I did another Adam's Family Pinball riff as i believe i did in nottingham so i'll i'll leave you with that and then we'll just have a little goodbye at the end but that's the only bit i'll play from cardiff and then we've managed to get through all the march gigs hooray <laughs> oh and i apologize for the sound quality of this recording i think i must have forgotten the mic or lost the mic at this point uh, it certainly is extremely dodgy so any audio files out there i hate what you're doing leave audio alone but you will not enjoy what's coming up but the rest of you Maybe I'll get something out of it. Here we go. Have you had a nice interval? I uh, played uh, Adam Sandy Pinball on my. <laughs> Any Adam Sandy Pinball fans in? I want to do like observational comedy about it, but no, not enough people. Have... <laughs> you know, sometimes when the thing's meant to flip on its own, it still goes into the swamp, doesn't it? And you get the five times, and Raoul Julia says, "Well, play thing," and you go, "Well, it wasn't him. It just went in by accident." <laughs> It's good, it's good. The Mamushka, eh? You know when you get further in, he says stuff that you don't, you don't, he doesn't. Yeah, you've got to get done. I've heard one only once. Can't even remember what it was, it was so exciting. And next year's tour, it's Chang's Out of Family, Out of Family Pinball. Just for the, the crossover between my fans and Adam's family pinball fans. Imagine how that could fill that next door. You're not in the Venn diagram, most of you. You're only that bloke, one bloke there. And he said he was only pretending. <laughs> trying to get in with me. But next year, go and buy it and play it. You'll get all the dust. Uh, so, we'll be, we'll be crack on. Uh, I'm going to do... I, I might do a whole half. Just today, I might just do all that. I'll try out the Adam's family pinball. <laughs> It's good really to do that to an audience of people who nobody who got any of the references. I think that would be high art. But you know, I've got different, I've got different ideas of what a comedy night should be to all of you, it seems. I'll, I'll do what I was going to do anyway. Uh, so that will do it for now. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Lord of the Dance Tea podcast. If you have had your curiosity piqued and would like to come and see the show, please go to www.richardherring.com slash L-O-T-D-S slash tour. 
you can see the dates that are to come. If you're in London or thereabouts, I'm back on the 14th and 15th of May. On the 15th at uh, the Bloomsbury Theatre, I will be doing the DVD record, which is always a lot of fun and would be great to fill it out. And both of those gigs need to sell quite a lot of tickets, but uh, it would be nice to get more on the 15th. So if you're around and the DVD recording always has extra little bits and pieces and it's completely the full show as well, which I'm not able to do on, on tour everywhere. And it might even have a little extra bit at the end that isn't anywhere else. So go to richherring.com and you can find out all about the rest of the tour. If you've enjoyed the show, please tell your friends, uh, and that's the way we'll get Just If everyone just gets one more person to come, don't tell two people about it, just tell one person about it. Actually, tell two people, because some people won't tell any people, but don't tell too many people about me, but tell some people about me, and then we can carry on working and doing all this stuff. Uh, and if you're interested in seeing previous shows I've done, uh, and you live in, in or around London, uh, in August and September, I'm going to be at the Leicester Square Theatre doing all 11 of my old shows plus a new one over six weekends, to, so two shows a week uh, of each different show. You can see every single show for £100 in total. That's 18 hours. And I will give you the free hand-drawn T-shirt of one of the posters drawn by me if you see all of the 12 shows. But you can just come and see one or two of them as well. So go to the Leicester Square Theatre. I think it's leicestersquaretheatre.com and you can find out all about that. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with more of these as soon as I can do them. They're really hard to put together. I can't believe how long this has taken. So come and see my bloody show. That's what this is about. <laughs> see you next time on Lord of the Dance City. Bye.